I'm Keaton Fletcher, an assistant professor of industrial organizational psychology at Colorado State University, and this is Healthy Work. I'm excited for our new format while Mariana is out with her new baby. We are bringing guests in to talk about their work, and I'm really excited about our first paper that we're going to be featuring on the podcast and our first guest. It's something different for us. It's a theory paper, so it might sound a little different than our normal conversations, but I'm really excited to see where this goes. I'm going to stop talking and let our guest introduce himself. Hey, Keaton. Thanks so much for having me here, and thanks so much for our listeners. Um, my name is Stephen Zoe. I am a PhD candidate in industrial organizational psychology at George Mason University over here on the East Coast near Washington, D.C. I also work in institutional data analytics for Purdue University, uh, but my research broadly covers content areas of leadership, personality, and careers, supported by some work in psychometrics and more advanced quantitative methods, and I have some interest in science communication, broadly speaking, as well. So I'm really grateful to be on this podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. And it sounds like you bring a a breadth of experience and knowledge to the table. And I'm excited to talk about your recent paper in the Journal of Occupational and Organizational Psychology about callings. So without wasting any time, why don't you walk me through your paper? Yeah, definitely. So as you said in the intro, it's a theory paper, right? So we were just coming up with a different way of expanding, or uh, I I use the term complexifying, which I don't think really is a word, but (laughs) complexifying our understanding of calling and vocation in terms of careers. I'll back up just very briefly and say, you know, there's a motivation here where I come from a small liberal arts undergraduate school where it was pretty common to ask about calling and career and finding the job for you. There was an ongoing joke that has roots in truth that's like, you have to start a business by the time you graduate because so many of our students just have that background of feeling like there's something they want to do that's so meaningful to them that it's what, and it was in Los Angeles area. So for many of them, it was something in entertainment or uh, we'll, we'll say a more challenging career area where objectively successful career is more difficult to come by. And with that context, you know, I've personally seen through that experience and the research suggests that there are some downsides potentially to calling. Right? There's a lot of good things that come with meaningful work, but one of the biggest downsides that have been recently uh, researched is this idea of an unmet calling. So what happens when you feel very strongly that there's a calling, but it doesn't quite work out? So that's the motivation behind this paper. We were trying to address that, not in the sense of, oh, it's now we should now not think about calling, but rather, how can we think about it differently that might... Uh, provide some ways to uh, to mitigate some of the potentials of unmet calling. So we proposed in this paper a threefold model where calling differs in shapes. And so we we drew from related literature on calling and work and so forth and kind of put together these three facets. We use the term facets of calling that we think has not been really researched before. And we kind of packaged it together to produce these propositions for future research. Um, So the three facets, one is scope. So we made the argument that callings can differ in scope. And that's this idea of shape, that we might have a narrow calling, like I am called to be an IO faculty member at an R1 research university. Or we might have a broader calling, think like a bigger circle, that's I'm called to teach psychology. That's it, teach psychology. It could be in any given context. 
so that's one facet. And the second is time proximity. We, we added a three-dimensional figure. It was very awkward trying to find different ways to draw this out. But we added a z-axis that represents time. And we made the argument that calling can differ in terms of how proximal it is by time to this current moment. Meaning it could be an immediate calling, like I am called to be a faculty member right now. So within the next two years, I'm going to go find a faculty job. Or maybe I'm called to do that in 10 years or 20 years. And I'm supposed to do something else in the meantime. And then finally, our third facet was duration. So we made the argument that, again, along this idea of a z-axis for time, right, that there might be an endpoint. So, so calling could be, could be lifelong, that long term, like the, my calling is to be a faculty member, and I'm going to do that until I retire and become faculty emeritus. Or it might be short term, like I'm going to do that for the next 10, 15 years, but then I'm going to change careers after. So that's kind of the approach that we took to complexifying calling, to suggest that normally, as in traditionally, calling is thought of as um, maybe narrow in scope, fairly immediate in time proximity, and fairly long in duration. And we're now arguing, well, actually, you could find a very strong calling, so no difference in the strength of your calling, but it could be broader, more distal, and more short-term. And then we set up a set of propositions for future research on what does this actually mean? So implications for future research and for everyday people as we think about calling. And we suggest that with a broader calling, you might be more resilient to labor market restrictions, meaning you know, to use the musician example, because I had so many friends in my undergrad that were going down that track, you might be called to play music, but if you're really specific, like I need to be in a, a top 10 blues band or something, it, due to pure labor market restrictions, that might be pretty tough to achieve. But if you broaden your calling to say, I'm, I'm called to play music professionally in some kind, there just might be more options for you. And they might even be non-work domain. So we start suggesting there's been some recent research on what does it mean to be called to something that's not your paid employment? Maybe to continue the music analogy, maybe I'm called to just play music on the side, like a gig work or something like that. That's not my main job, but that's my calling. So what does that look like? So we're proposing that. Uh, we proposed for a distal calling. So if you have a calling that's not going to be for another 20 years, what are you doing in the meantime? So it gets at this idea of patience, of like biding your time in a way. And I have a personal relation to that of I finished undergrad and had a pretty strong sense I wanted to go to a PhD program. But I had a mentor tell me, you know what, you should wait and go work. Just go work in like HR. I ended up taking a job in HR analytics for a few years before going into the PhD program. So in a sense, I knew that those three years weren't my calling, but it was preparing me for a future calling. And it actually ended up being really helpful for me personally, but that's just an experience that I had that kind of fits into this idea of a distal calling. And then finally, I'll stop here. Um, we suggested that with a short-term calling, you're going to encounter transitions. And that's something I don't think we've really ever researched before of what is it like to transition fully from one calling to another. So if you have a five-year long calling or even shorter than that, there's been some we, we cited a couple of really interesting research articles that talked about mask making as a calling, which really spiked during the pandemic, obviously. And, but it only lasted a fairly short amount of time until the mass market masks uh, were provided. So the first basically three to six months when everyone needed masks and we didn't, have a, we didn't have the right suppliers for them, there was a research article researching people who felt like that was their calling for three to six months. 
and then how to transition out of that, which is really interesting. So that was the paper. So it was really just offering some additional ways to think about calling and suggesting all these implications for how we think about calling, we research it, and how we experience it. Thank you so much for that overview. I loved this paper. I also personally resonated with it. I was pre-med. I wanted to be a doctor so badly for pretty much my entire childhood. And then I sat through a three-hour meeting about applying to medical school. And I was like, I don't think I can afford to apply to medical school. I can't afford to go to medical school. What am I going to do with my life? And then had that calling sort of transition into IO psychology where I could keep one foot in the healthcare domain uh, still sort of play in that world, have an impact in that world, but it was more financially viable. And so the notion of like calling adaptability that you talk about in the paper, I thought was really cool. I have a question for you. It might be very basic for you, but as someone who doesn't study callings, how do you define a calling? That's a really good question. Um, there's actually a lot of debate over this. There's really no one good definition. Uh, generally, at the very broadest level, I think uh, the, the different articles, especially Duffy's a, a very prolific author in this space, we're talking about a sense of, uh, well, unfortunately, using the word calling to say a sense of calling to work in a particular space that comes from external to the self, usually. Um, now, even that can be debated because there's been research on different types of calling. That's like calling that originates from outside the self, this idea that there is a perhaps a spiritual or an external authority that's telling you you should be working in this space versus calling that's internal to the self that's saying, this is what I know I'm good at and this is what I really want and that's going to be my calling. So. I realize I didn't really answer your question because unfortunately there isn't a really good answer to it. Oh, uh, you gave the classic psychology answer. Yeah, yeah, the, it depends, right? <laughs> <laughs> Another question for you. With writing a theory paper, obviously you have to get deep into the literature and find all the nooks and crannies of what has been done, what has been studied. In that literature review, was there anything surprising or maybe was there anything surprising about the publication process of a theory paper? Yeah, I'll start with it in the process of doing so. Um, what's interesting is with theory, I don't think we were discovering anything particularly new, right? Because even as I describe it to anybody I talk to, they're kind of like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So it's not like some some very surprising new idea that no one's ever thought of before. But really it was trying to see, well, other articles have found bits and pieces of this. So how are we going to package this together in a way that makes sense? and spurs on additional research and thinking and application about this. And they're just examples of like, when we were talking about scope, right? Um, we dived into this career adaptability literature. You already mentioned that briefly. There's been, that's uh, dates all the way back to the nineties is uh, there's literature on that. When we were talking about time proximity, we were talking about future time perspective and Strathman and his articles there. And that was also nineties or the two thousand something like that. So, I guess what I'm saying is going into the literature to try to extract theory based on the bits and pieces, it, it almost felt a little bit like each article had a piece of the elephant, to use that analogy, right, where there's an elephant and everyone has a piece of it and you're trying to put it together into something. And then, you know, going into the publication process, it's how do you then make it clear that this is one way to think about things that we think is succinct and is useful but it's obviously not 100% correct. No theory is ever going to be 100% correct, right? And so in that sense, it's like one of the, the immediate pushbacks we get is, 
why those three facets? Why aren't there any other facets? I'm sure there are other facets. Yeah, I have to agree. I mean, I'm sure there are other facets that we haven't considered, but these are the three that fit together in a way that made sense, felt comprehensive without being overly complicated, and generates interesting research questions. So having to try to defend that is interesting because I actually, most of my work is, is empirical as well. I'm mostly in the quantitative space. And so with that, it's almost a little easier because you can say, yeah, this is what the numbers say. And this is why I did this the way it is. This is why I coded it with this particular estimator and, and all that. It's, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to defend in some ways in situations like that. Whereas here it's more, yeah, we agree, this is incomplete. But this is what we have. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for that answer. It's uh, I've never written a theory paper. <laughs> it sounds very intriguing, almost like archaeology. So cool. For our everyday listeners who are never going to write a theory paper, what can they do with this? What should their takeaway be from your theory of callings? I really hope that just even hearing and thinking about it differently is already a big takeaway. And I, I hinted at this earlier, but I do feel like a lot of the times when we talk about calling, we have this implicit traditional view of narrow, immediate, long-term. So find the specific job, go go for it right away because that's what's going to make you happy and and don't even think about when it, it ends. Like That's going to be your career. Now, that's, of course, very simplistic, and I'm sure there are plenty of people and career counselors who will say, oh, no, 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 that's not what we're telling them to think and so forth. So I completely recognize that. I'm just suggesting that implicitly that might be where people tend to go to. And so even just acknowledging that broad, broader callings might exist, that distal callings might exist, that short-term callings might exist, we feel like that already just creates more mental resilience to and adaptability to consider career paths that might seem dissatisfying if you believe this is only one job for me and it's long-term and I need it right now. And, but might actually be very satisfying if you take a different thought process. So, so just even thinking about it, we hope it's helpful for anybody who's listening just to think about what's my calling, because we encourage that. We want people to think about calling, but maybe it's broad or distal or short term. I, I, as a next step, we do want to, well, first, with any theory paper, it is empirically tested. So we do go into the empirical space and say, um, and we're working on some follow-up research right now on can we demonstrate some meaningful differences in outcomes based on these facets that we describe. Um, so we definitely want to pursue that and uh, concurrently also want to develop some workshops and takeaways um, we're trying to build some relationships with career centers in particular, college career centers, since they do such an amazing job working with college students. And we just want to add that maybe this is helpful for them to integrate into the workshops that they're doing, just basic, presenting some basic uh, contemplative reflection questions for students to ask of themselves as they think about calling in the current context that are, exist on these career centers. Um, so we're definitely looking into ways to to provide an easy to use kind of reflection tool for people as they consider and think about their calling. And final question for you, Stephen, why do you do this work? Because work really matters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, what's, what's the number? It takes up a third of your life, right? Something like 100,000, 90,000 hours or whatever is what people estimate in terms of the number of hours most people will spend working in their lifetime. That's a lot of time. And you know, I, I talk to people who, uh, when we talk about psychology, you know, of course, a lot of people think clinical psychology and counseling and very, very important. 
very, everybody I think would need that that branch of psychology. IO is sometimes thought of, oh, you're not talking about life or death situations. That's probably true in most cases. Of course, in certain workplace safety incidents, we are talking about it. But yeah, okay, probably true. We're not talking about life or death, but we're talking about a third of your life here. And so raw amount of time spent at work, to me, it makes sense to invest as much as we can in improving that experience for people so that they're not walking away from the third, a third of their life just chugging along at a job that feels like they're just doing it for the paycheck. And here even, maybe that's important. And then so it's asking questions of what can we do about improving the experience about just doing it for the paycheck? Because sometimes that is necessary. And just to connect it back to calling, like that's an example of the, the two to three years I spent working in HR. To be fair, I did enjoy the job and I had great colleagues, but in some ways it kind of was for the paycheck in the sense of for people who don't know, a PhD program does not pay you very much, if anything. <laughs> and so it was, I need to save up. I need to prepare myself to eventually do a PhD program. And that those two to three years became really meaningful because of I had mentors who I'm grateful for getting me to think through some of these things. So that's what motivates me. It's just this idea of we spend so much time at work. What can we do to make that better for people? Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Stephen. And I'm excited to see what else you do. Thanks so much, Keaton. It's such a pleasure to be here. Bye. Healthy Work is a podcast written and produced by Keaton Fletcher and Mariana Arvon, mixed and edited by Keaton Fletcher, artwork by Keaton Fletcher, and our music is Zero Micro Song by Steve Combs. Please like us, follow us, and subscribe on whatever podcatching software you use. And leave a review in the iTunes store. It really does help get us out there.